Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Quiz podcast. I am Helen and I'm joined by my co-host of the podcast, Sarah. Hi everyone. And as ever, we are here with you to share our thoughts, our advice and practical tips to help you take ownership for your career and succeed in all of its lovely squiggliness because squiggly careers are full of opportunity. They sometimes feel a bit challenging and they sometimes might feel a bit tricky, but actually they are full of opportunity if we know how to navigate them. And that is what we are here to help you do each week. This is actually episode 85 of the podcast. And in the past episodes, we've covered things like last week's was how to coach yourself. We've covered things on interviews. We've covered things on work well-being. So if this is the first time you're listening, maybe go back and search through some of the other ones and find the topics that might be most relevant to you right now i've had some people actually say to me oh you know i've just discovered you so they listen to the latest episode and then they're almost a bit daunted they're like <laughs> oh, oh no, i've got really like bad. 84 episodes to catch up on and i, was, um, I, was, and I sort of don't know what to say i'm like oh okay um good luck <laughs> I was listening to a podcast this week when I was commuting somewhere by um, Creative Equals and they were, um, oh yeah, uh, it was a podcast about somebody who had started like the podcast trend actually, it's quite interesting, but um, it said a stat that the average podcast actually ends after seven episodes uh, because no, of We people... perhaps didn't get that memo. Yeah, we did get we, we, I don't know when we're going to keep, when we're going to stop. We're not going to stop everyone, we're going to keep doing this for as long, a lot, as long as we can. As long as somebody listens. Yeah, as long as someone... Other than us, if we start talking to ourselves then perhaps we should stop. One person and Sarah's mum probably. Yeah. And then we'll keep <laughs> going just for your mum <laughs> yeah um, that, I mean that that means we're basically gonna keep going forever because she's like she's a resolute fan I've already had a message from her today about how much she enjoyed last week's episode oh, I, love, I love your mum hi <laughs> Sue um so back to this week then so episode 85 and today we are going to be talking about politics at work it is a bit of a knotty topic it's not always the most fun part of work but it is a big reality of work we know it's something that makes people feel uncomfortable we've had a quite a few messages about it since we said we were going to talk about it and the plan for this week's episode is to think and share with you a little bit of the research about what politics at work actually is and why it's important that we find ways to authentically navigate it we're going to also focus on some practical ideas for you so that you can navigate it at work. We've got some questions from our community. We've got some advice for our community. And we're going to wrap all that up into about a 30 minute podcast episode for you. 
Hopefully. So should we start by thinking a bit about what office politics really is, which actually I think I could now use the next 29 minutes to talk about. <laughs> Don't do because that. <laughs> I, actually had to, I had to have a pre-podcast conversation with Helen because I was thinking, I got really into what do we actually mean by it, standard let's define Sarah. it, which is very much standard Sarah behaviour. But I think there's a good Harvard Business Review article where a lady called Annie McKee, she talks about it and she said, office politics is really just the art of influencing others so we can get stuff done at work. And I think that is quite a helpful, simple definition of office politics. And there's a few things I think we want to make sure that we are making a distinction between because often these things all get caught up together or labelled in certain ways. And what we're not talking about today is bad behaviours or toxic workplaces. I suspect that might be a episode in the future because I know that you know that that would be a challenge that people do experience I think what we're talking about today is kind of the politics that exist I'm sure in some way shape or form in most organizations in terms of how stuff happens how decisions get made and often I think having thought about it quite a lot I think it's the things that don't get written down no one can show you a diagram of how the office politics work here or no one could almost explain it, or people probably wouldn't explain it in the same way. But it's it's somehow maybe like the unwritten rules or the things that are implied that maybe you have to kind of learn when you're starting to work somewhere. And we got into a bit of a debate actually about is work politics, is it a good or is it a bad thing? Or is it just an inevitable thing that in any organisation where you've got lots of people all working together, that it, is it almost something that happens naturally so it's very difficult to avoid and actually most of our jobs when we're working in organizations is just to kind of figure out the best way to make sure that the right things can happen that we can do our best work that it helps us rather than hinders us so I don't think we quite arrived on is it a good or a bad thing I think we were probably actually slightly more on the fence of it is a thing it's just a thing yeah it is a thing and it does exist everywhere and that actually when you start to look at the research that Helen mentioned, the people who do progress and who are promoted and have a greatest kind of impact in their organisations are good at navigating the kind of politics of an organisation. They do have the kind of political skills to make sure that things happen and get things done and that they're kind of savvy. And so it does, or certainly the research suggests, it will influence your career trajectory, certainly with the way that work is at the moment. And we were chatting, weren't we, about as careers get more squiggly, will this become less of a thing? Yeah, because I was thinking about my experiences of politics and when I reflect on of the organisations I've worked in, which ones have felt the most political. And I would say it is the large organisations that I've worked in. So, you know, like BP, Microsoft in particular, they're hierarchical. And, you know, you've got grades that people progress through, their matrix structures, all that kind of stuff. Those are the ones where I've experienced politics the most. And if I look at the way that work is going, those hierarchies might not be the way that work is in the future. So we might have kind of flatter, more fluid structures. And I do wonder whether with that, the some of the like the internal drivers that at least I've experienced of politics might go away. So again, Sarah and I got into quite a big discussion about this and, we, and, it, and, it, and it won't be a half an hour podcast. But I think it, we we landed on politics as a thing. 
There's evidence to say the people that navigate it well do well in organisations, if that is important to you. And there's a open question as to whether that that is going to be the long term future of work. But it's definitely part of work right now. What are your reflections, Sarah, on the organisations that you've worked in and, and politics? Well, I can't work out whether I'm just incredibly naive or a secret genius. <laughs> I would prefer the latter, I think. But I, I wouldn't describe anywhere I've worked as being highly political in that way that often people are quite negative about oh you know that's a very political organization it's not usually a or a political team or an individual it's not usually a positive label that people give to things and probably the approach that I've always taken wherever I've worked is I am usually good at figuring out how stuff happens how decisions get made both the kind of spoken and unspoken and I think I've always understood because I've always worked in places that have that complexity that there is the unspoken that is as important as the, okay, well, this is the process that you need to go through. But I've always got that, okay, there's a load of unspoken things that you need to think about, be smart in how you approach things, talk to the right people to be able to get to the outcomes and to be able to achieve your objectives and do a good job of what you're doing. And I've never been in a position, I guess, where I've had to you know, almost like pretend to do something different or be something that I'm not to an extent that has ever made me feel almost like uncomfortably political. And yeah, like I said, I'm either like really naive and have just like floated through life. And actually people might have said about exactly the same organisations, very different things, I don't know. And I'm definitely not, it's definitely not because I'm an incredible political animal. Like I watch things like The Thick of It and stuff, which I love and watch those kind of politics in action and just think, oh, that's like my idea of a nightmare. And I don't think I would be very good at that or be brilliant at just kind of always, you know, knowing what was happened when and all the corridor conversations and all those kind of things that people kind of get nervous about or the water cooler moments, which is more (laughs) of a kind of American phrase. I don't think I'm, I'm probably at my worst, to be honest, in those sort of situations, like those very, you know, spontaneous moments where, you know, that's when you meet the chief executive in the lift and probably people who are like brilliantly political are so good at like, you know, the elevator pitch and what to say in that moment. Whereas I'm like the person who basically would either like try and hide, say nothing or say something really bland and then just be like, oh God, I'm like so boring. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know, I can't figure out kind of which side of the fence I sit on. And actually, the more I've thought about it, the more I can see that this might be one of those phrases that has got a bad reputation. And actually as work continues to change, it might need reframing or new words or definitions to sort of decide almost to distinguish between the positive aspects of politics and influencing and making things happen and involving people and the negative bits that I think a lot of people associate with kind of politics so perhaps that's a job for another day for us (laughs) just um kind of building on what you were saying there I think there's a a role to play for confidence and integrity in doing in, in, in playing politics well because I think if you are confident in your views your approach your recommendations then you can kind of navigate through politics with that like you're not trying to make something up to get someone else on side like you have a confidence that what you're saying is the right thing so I think actually maybe for confident people maybe it's less of an issue but also there's an integrity piece like you when you were talking there you mentioned that you haven't felt like you've had to be inauthentic in what you Mm. were doing to get ahead and so perhaps those are 
either values or strengths that people might have that they are either naturally confident or they've worked hard on developing confidence as a skill and they're also comfortable that they're operating with integrity maybe when those things are compromised so you feel unconfident or you feel like a situation is testing your integrity that's when politics starts to get really really uncomfortable yeah should we answer a couple of questions that people have asked us on instagram yes people got really got really into the topic (laughs) and then we'll move on to our kind of top tips so one of the questions that came up a lot was is there any way to avoid politics so this is the I hate the idea of it. I don't want to go anywhere near it. Can I just leave it? And is that okay? And it reminds me a bit of when people sort of say, oh, I think my work should just speak for itself. Yeah. Which again, I, I understand. And I understand why people are probably who are asking about the avoiding would be taking it from a, it's not useful. It gets in the way. I just want to do my job and do it really well. So people usually come from a very positive perspective when they're kind of saying these things. The thing I worry about is that if you avoid these things that are realities, will it actually hold you back from doing the things that you really want to do? And so I think our suggestion of politics is probably slightly more that you do need to use a kind of bit of a cliche phrase, but like lean into it, embrace rather than avoid it. But that doesn't mean doing something or acting in a way that you don't feel comfortable or confident in. Mm. And I think probably some of the tips that we're going to talk through and probably a bit of the next question should help people with that I think if it's at its extreme if you're thinking I'm somewhere that's highly political and I really don't feel comfortable at all in terms of like the cultural norms and the kind of the political norms then I think that's a much harder challenge but I think if you're saying I know this sort of happens at the moment I'm avoiding it a bit because I'm maybe I don't love it or I'm I'm not sure how good I'll be. I actually met up with someone this week uh, who, who I kind of won't name, but she was talking to me about the fact that she'd always been really nervous of politics. And she works in a really big organisation. And she actually, which I think is really brave of her, took on a job that was almost like one of the most political jobs in the organisation to force herself into it by kind of jump, <laughs> jumping in that at the deep end. That is brave. Which, which I, I thought was really brave. So she sort of acknowledged it. And she had done the avoiding thing. And she was like, actually... I probably haven't progressed as quickly because of it. So I was like, right, I'm going to, I'm just going to jump in the deep end and just see what happens. And actually it was really interesting talking to her because she clearly has found a way to make it work for her. And she's been really successful. She's been like her career trajectory has like really increased quite quickly. She's been offered now lots of other interesting jobs. It's almost that thing of um, if you take on the hard job or the difficult stuff or the things that people don't want to do, you can kind of almost like build your reputation and credibility sometimes even quicker and faster because mm. people see that that's what you're doing. So sometimes I think maybe if that's something you're going, I really avoid it. It's not for everyone, but perhaps I was going, <laughs> Go in the what, deep what, what, like, but also what, just asking yourself, like, well, what would the opposite look like? And what could maybe I do to see if I'm perhaps a bit better at this than I thought I was? Mm. I think sometimes people have a, there's some assumptions around, what it takes to be good at this and perhaps because you've seen people do it in a way that you don't want to do it but I think don't forget you don't have to role model bad behaviors and that's kind of not what we're talking about so sometimes I wonder if the people who avoid it could end up actually being the best people because they'll find smart and sophisticated ways because they'll really think about it so yeah I think we're saying you can't avoid it lean into it but find a way that works for you good advice Sarah thanks (laughs) (laughs) question two how can we positively use workplace politics to help us achieve our goals and how to fight politics without becoming a target? So this is more on the, okay, so if I'm going, I accept it's there and actually I want to be 
proactive in how I address it. What can I actually do? What practical things can I do? Um, And I kind of came up with two sets of things that I think I would think about around workplace politics. One is to ask really smart questions of the people that you're working with and smart questions that will help give you insight into what the politics are, all the unwritten rules, what's happening, who has power, who has influence. And I think those questions can be things like, what's important to you about this project? What worries you about this project or this situation? How do you think we should approach this problem? It's very much being brilliant at listening, actually, which I think sometimes people think, oh, politics is all about like getting your voice heard. But I think if you're going to do this really well, you've got to start with understanding first like really understanding what's the environment what's the culture what's happening around here what is the way that things happen in terms of making decisions understanding the different people the different personalities almost using your lots of the kind of self-awareness that by listening to this podcast you must care about your own kind of self-awareness and using those skills and those abilities also to observe what's happening around you and then I think the second step is to then work out okay so what does that mean for me in terms of how I'm going to approach my work so this is where I start to think about okay so what would that mean for me and I think I have a few it's almost like what's your modus operandi for how you're going to get stuff done that means that you will you are working within the system you're working in you know you're not trying to kind of fight it or you might choose to fight it at times but not continually because I'd suggest that I'd be really hard and quite tough And also, what do I feel happy with? What do I want people to say about me? What do I want to feel happy with at the end of a day and end of a week? And I think for me, I had a few things like, and I still have these things. One is to always start by being positive and kind of enthusiastic. So maybe that's the kind of naivety in me, but (laughs) I think I feel better. and, And I do see that that translates into how people deal with me. And, you know, if you're always taking that kind of positive point of view, I think hopefully that kind of rubs off on people. The second one is to think the best about everyone rather than the worst. Mm. So always assuming positive intent, I think. So even if that's not how it feels or how it's coming across, trying to think, okay, well, let's assume that person is trying their best and does care and has positive intent. How might that help me to think about this situation? And I think my last one, which has probably been the most helpful in particularly tricky situations, is knowing what I can control and being clear at what point does it tip over into things where I sort of have to go, okay, well, this is about more than just me or more than just me and my team or more than just me and my function, whatever it might be, there will always be times where you've sort of done your best and acted in the best way possible, but things outside of your control, like some politics stuff that you just think maybe you're not in a position to influence or you didn't maybe even anticipate beforehand and that that has happened to me before actually not anticipating some things in the right way going well that's happened now and I couldn't control it I you know you don't know what you don't know and just knowing to be better next time and learning from it and I think it probably has also motivated me to want to be in positions where I can help influence how those decisions are made and almost Mm. like influence the system and actually I was talking to somebody else today who's very in a very, very senior job and he was talking to me about how much he's motivated by being an incredibly senior kind of top board position. And the reason for that is exactly that, is that he's like, I want to be the person who can help put the right systems and structures in place that means that people can thrive. 
And I sort of think, oh, that's a brilliant reason for wanting to have that ambition. I think it's really motivating, actually, to think if you accept that all organisations are political and we don't all love that, actually thinking around your approach to work and how you can maybe create a better work environment through politics. So if I think about some of the things that are me and my approach to work, I want to ensure all voices are heard and I want to ensure that there's an environment of respect. So that makes Mm, me think even in difficult political situations at work, I would still, even if it felt uncomfortable, I would still make sure every voice was heard. And if I felt that bad behaviours were creeping in, I would be very confident in challenging it on the basis of this should be an environment where we respect each other. So, Mm. and I feel like, do you know what, even if it wasn't going my way or even if I wasn't doing the politics very well, I would come out of that situation knowing that I had stayed true to those principles. And if that didn't make me successful because I hadn't played Mm. the politics game right, I would be fine in myself back to that integrity point about earlier knowing that that had been my standard and that had been what I'd stood for in that environment yeah I really like that idea Sarah about the kind of being comfortable with your own approach at work and and almost leading on that rather than trying to be some chameleon that you know changes based on the the politics of the organization or the people that you're working with at that time one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so hopefully, thank you very much for your questions. Um, we, we want to make sure these podcasts are as useful as possible for you. So it's useful to kind of have a few of your questions to frame things. We've also got four different tips that we think can help you more broadly with how you might want to um, think about and manage politics at work. So I'm going to go through those now with you. The first one is something we've mentioned on previous podcasts, actually, but we're going to in a little bit more detail now. It's to map your stakeholders based on their influence and their level of interest in your work so <laughs> yes it's another two by two matrix because I love them and we'll well, put I feel it like we should have a little two by two matrix bell 
or sound effect <laughs> or something, which I would really enjoy. I'd really like that. I'd also quite like another book with lots of our two by two matrix that we refer to. Maybe for another. <laughs> we're not day. writing another book. Yeah, yet. Yeah, we're not, no. not yet. Not yet. Growth mindset. Uh, um, so I'll put this on the blog post that goes on the website, so you can. I'll, I'll describe it now. But if you're like Helen, this is I can't quite see what you're saying. Go to the blog post on amazingif.com. But effectively, you've got a two by two matrix. On one side, you've got the influence or the power of your stakeholders. So high and low influence and then on the other axis you've got the level of interest in the work that you're doing so high or low it basically gives you these four different boxes which you can plot your stakeholders into so you end up with people for example who are they're high power and they're also high interest those become your key players you really want to engage with those people closely or you might for example have some people that have got lots of interest but maybe they've not got a lot of power Um, and those are the people that you want to maybe keep in formed but you don't want them to be a drain on your time it's just a useful way of you plotting the stakeholders understanding the dynamic a little bit so that you can think about how you might approach some of those conversations or your communications with them a little bit more consciously um I think you know what it makes me think about where a few times with projects or in certain roles where you get stuck and you're not sure why you're getting stuck. So you sort of think that you're doing all the right things. You maybe got a good idea or you're trying to make a project happen. And you sort of feel like you're going through all the right forums. But mm. for whatever reason, you're just not making the progress that you think you should be. Or maybe not getting the support that you need. So you kind of feel like you're working really hard and just but not making kind of the strides you need to. I was just thinking then as you were talking, I think probably every time that's happened, it's because I have missed something in this matrix of missed some important stakeholders either like a stakeholder group either a whole team or just not thought about a team that would actually really matter or individuals or just not quite navigated this in the right way whereas actually if I'd have thought about this as soon as I started to get stuck I would have realized oh actually it's because I've I've not engaged this person and actually in hindsight they're a key player and I should be engaging them closely and the sooner then you can start doing that the quicker everything kind of speeds up a little bit so I think if you're also thinking, I can't quite understand why this thing that I really care about or I think is a brilliant idea is not happening, this might also be a useful thing to have a look at. I've um, specifically used this with my teams before when my teams and myself have been drowning in meetings that you think you can't get out of because you're like, well, everyone's important and everyone wants me to be in this meeting and I need to be in all these meetings and actually being able to take a step back and say, okay, well, who are our key stakeholders and are we are we engaging with all these stakeholders in the most efficient way? It's given me a bit of perspective. My one tip, if you do this in a team environment, um, because you're probably going to involve a whiteboard, probably in a meeting room, and you're going to draw this up, and maybe you're going to stick post-it notes on with all names. Take it down. Yeah, take it down, because there is a very real risk that you might put somebody who might think they are quite important or a key player, you might end up putting them in the low-power, low-interest quadrant, which uh, the behaviour that you need to do with those people is uh, basically minimal effort if they see their name in that box they might not be that happy so definitely a good session to do as a team really helps you to understand your stakeholders take it down as soon as you've done it so you don't end up in a just really really worse political situation than perhaps you started (laughs) in is our advice there 
The next tip for you is actually a little bit about what Sarah was talking about earlier when he was talking about asking smart questions, but it's to understand in your organisations how decisions are getting made, not just who makes them. Sometimes people look to the hierarchy in the organisation and they kind of assume, oh, it's the most senior person who's making the decisions and that's the person from a politics perspective that I would need to engage. But that's not always the case. If you start to be a little bit more of an observer in meeting and you're you're listening and watching more, Sarah talked earlier about the importance of listening, you think about, you know, who's talking, who's repeating words that others are saying, who's building on ideas. You start to see maybe how the decisions are getting made and hear a little bit more about that. When I was looking into this, there was a phrase that I really liked, which was about your aim should be to become a little bit of a corporate anthropologist. Um, this kind yeah, of I, love that. I really like it. Um, I wonder if it could be a job title, but this person is really understanding how things are getting done and who's influencing. I quite like that. Maybe you could put your corporate anthropologist hat on for a week and see what insights you can gather about how decisions are getting made in an organisation which then might help you to think about, could you approach things differently? Might you need to build relationships with some other people to enable you to get your things done? You could almost do that thing that we talked about at the start of the podcast where we said very rarely the kind of politics of work written down or, you know, Mm. articulated (laughs) in any way. But perhaps, you know, as an anthropologist for a week, you could almost have a go at actually whether you're doing like a mind map or writing stuff down, probably just for yourself. Yes. But... But I think that actually just the more I think about it, the more I go, that's actually a really interesting exercise if you were new into an organisation, new into a team where you should be really just on high alert in terms of just noticing. I think that's what anthropologists are really good is like noticing and spotting. And we're often so busy with the day jobs and things that we've got to get done and getting through our to do lists that's almost the opposite of being an anthropologist. So it's almost like just sometimes swapping hats from kind of actions to anthropology might not be a bad change of mindset, which might just help you navigate politics a little bit better. So our tip number three is to practice transparency as much as possible. Now, with this, what we mean is that Often the fuel of politics can be these secret conversations, you know, yeah. the, the gossip, the chats in the corridor might not be founded on anything, but it sort of becomes a rumour, which then becomes reality, which then creates an issue in the workplace. And while you can't single-handedly stop that, and you know it's very difficult to stop, what you are in control of is your own behaviour. So as much as you can, think about how transparent you can be. So your, your thoughts and processes, rather than having corridors, gossips or chats be open about it Uh, we want to create teams where there's psychological safety which you can look to amy edmondson's work on this but where people feel comfortable to talk about it as a group rather than feeling like they might have to do it behind closed doors because of fear about people's reactions we want to talk about the processes for decision making don't have it as some dark art that only people in the know know how to do but you know let's talk about how did that decision happen how did you approach it so that we can all learn about it encourage feedback don't keep it as kind of these secrets so I think practice transparency you are in control to some extent of how that plays out for you I think the more people that do it the more it becomes the way things are done around here and there are some great organizations like uh, Monzo and Buffer that have some really good examples of transparency in action that start to really inform um, a much more open and progressive culture 
Yeah, and sometimes I think it can just be really small things. Like I remember where I've done things like leadership away days or taken some of my team, you know, you're doing like an offsite day or something like that. And maybe not everyone is there for lots of reasons, because maybe it's not for everyone. Maybe it's for people of a certain level, especially if you're in kind of big organisations. I always made a real effort to tell people, A, to let people know why people weren't there and what we were doing and where we were going, but also to update people afterwards. So whether that was something that just I'd been invited to or whether that was something just myself and a couple of team members were at, just trying to make sure that people were clear about what was happening, why it was happening in that way. If you could ever spot opportunities to invite people in to like observe or deputize, I'd always try to do that as well to mm. almost take take away the idea of these things are it's like a dark art mm. and you know you just think I've said to people quite a lot when they've been promoted and then been like oh now I'm part of this like bigger leadership team <laughs> or management team I was a bit like oh you're gonna be like so disappointed <laughs> <laughs> you know you're like I think people sometimes build these things up to being way more than they actually are because they've felt very far removed from it and just mm. not had it's felt like oh you know you're just not in the know whereas actually I think it can be really motivating for people to know more about how things work what happens in a board meeting what happens in leadership team meeting at any level if there are things that are not naturally inclusive if there are other smart ways that you can include people I think that's a really good way to be transparent I agree so our last tip then is um, it's all about power dynamics so there's definitely politics and power and influence are kind of all meshing together a little bit and perhaps in your role of um, corporate anthropologist one of the things that you could do is start to observe the different types of power that people might have and also reflect on your own source of power so there's some research that says that there are eight different types of power that people have at work I'm not going to run through all eight of them which is very quickly. That's the point where people are like, no, I'm going to switch off now. Yeah, switch it's off too, now, too many. Too many. Um, just to give you an example of a couple of them, there's things like legitimate power. So that's like traditional power, often hierarchical power. So maybe it's a manager or a senior leader, that kind of thing. There's also expert power. So the person who knows the real detail well, of something. That I really recognise, actually. Having worked with some people who are very like experienced in the past and you're like, oh they have so much power because they just like know so much <laughs> very very true i think a lot of people trade off that as well don't yeah, they yeah. when they've got it which is i guess is, is the point also another example for you um charismatic power so these are the people that are just you know charismatic and able to influence others because of that they're able to use it maybe to influence or persuade people and bring them on side so these eight different types go on to amazing.com and, and the blog post that will accompany this podcast to find out all of the different um, sources of power but the point is that to have a think about what is your source of power if we accept that we all have one of these eight sources of power and actually we can potentially use it in our favor to support how we might influence authentically some of the outcomes we might want at work you know that definition earlier about getting things done then have a think about what your source of power is because you might be able to, you know, make it, hone it a little bit more if you can be more mm. aware of it. Yeah, I'm just looking to see what sort of power I've got. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> looking at, I'm, I'm reading through going, right, I've not got that one, but I have got that one. Not got that one. It's good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Oh, yeah. What do you think? I'm, I might be somewhere between uh, referent power, so all yeah. the charismatic power, I think. I was going to go with, there's one called reverent power, which is about who you know, which is, it would definitely not have been any power that I had for the first, 10 or 11 years of my career but once I got better at building relationships and networking and stuff I do now definitely have some power in the connections that I have so there are things like 
speakers that I can bring into the company that I work for just because of that kind of power that I have because of the network I've got and actually that's almost like a newer power for me so I was also starting to go oh which ones are powers that take like longer yeah and which and which are things that you maybe have naturally so have a have a look for yourself because I would guarantee everybody will have at least one of them and then some of them you might think well that's never going to be me like when I looked at the expert one I sort of think probably other than squiggly careers which I've made up we've made up for ourselves I'm not I'm not sure I have very much like ex I'm not sure I'll ever be like an expert power person um well I think I've had legitimate power in the past but I do think in squiggly careers and I probably have legitimate power now certainly in in my job in the creative agency I work in because of my job title but I increasingly think that's going to be less of a thing as structures get flatter people move around a lot more I think if you are just trading off legitimate power I think that's not going to be enough for people. I agree. And, and I wouldn't want to, you know, I've had the digital no. power, but it's not the way that I would want to influence things. would be basically to say, well, I'm more senior. So that's how I, that, that so, feels yeah, really do horrible. It, I don't like it at all. <laughs> yeah. but I, I know I've definitely witnessed it in organisations that people have trade off that one. I think that's a really interesting point as well. As well as you thinking about your source of power, you can maybe start to observe at work. Mm. It, I think this will also help you to take a step back from politics when it maybe is engaging you emotionally and it might be frustrating you. Take a step back and be the observer and start to think okay what source of power are you showing up with right here um I think it could be maybe that's just me playing a little game with myself at work but that's definitely um I I think it's it's probably borderline smart slash manipulative but (laughs) but I think it's okay and then I think we can all read them and there's one that's called moral power which is basically about being just like an amazing ethical brilliant person and we'll all just be like yeah that's I'll go for that one, thanks. Well, I was thinking about Paul Polman at Unilever when I was reading that. Yeah, and I, and I good think example. Actually, you know, he yeah, has really good. You know, legitimate power, very much, very senior, very senior. However, I think he's maybe become somebody who's got moral power because of all the work that he's doing with um, good example Unilever and sustainability. Um, so yes, yeah, so hopefully there are four tips for you. So just to recap, the four tips. Um, the first tip was mapping stakeholder influence and interest. Head over to the website so you can see that template there. Second was to look at how decisions get made, not just who makes them third was to practice transparency and the fourth was to think about the power dynamics going on in the organization and we asked our um lovely instagram followers if they'd got any advice on dealing with politics at work and there's two that we've picked out that we really love um one from rock salt consulting that said keep breathing and remember they're dealing with something else i.e bad manager sick kids awful commute etc so that's almost back to that point i said about starting with positive intent and everybody sort of trying their best sometimes it takes a really deep breath to do that but that's probably why that advice starts with keep breathing (laughs) and echoed by this adventurous life often it's not personal but a reflection of where that person is at and I think I find that particularly powerful because probably on my worst day or where I find it hardest I definitely do take these kind of things personally and then you sort of overthink it and over reflect so that's a good way to go this is not about me in terms of whatever that politics is. It's just uh, what's happening right now. And it goes back to that. What can you control versus what you can't? So some very wise advice from our um, lovely community there. And um, as Helen's mentioned, all of our resources on the website. And if you're looking for a useful podcast episode to accompany this, I think episode 68 was about influencing. And I do think kind of politics at work and, and influencing probably do go hand in hand. So if you're thinking, I've just started listening and I've got a bit to go until I get, you know, one, two, three, four to 68, you can just skip straight to 68, <laughs> listen to influencing and then kind of take your pick from there. 
So thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. And thank you to everyone as ever who takes the time to rate us. We really, really appreciate it. It makes a big difference in helping us to reach more people. If you are a big fan of the podcast and you don't want to miss out on future episodes, you can subscribe. I think you can just subscribe on iTunes. Um, I'm not sure if you can do it on the other platforms, but I think there's... I subscribe to our own podcast. podcast. Great, Sarah. Good job. Good job. That counts. Thanks. <laughs> if anyone else would like to subscribe, <laughs> along with Sarah, um, you can apparently do it on Overcast and iTunes. <laughs> Oh, I've done made you giggle so much. Yeah, yeah you did, funny. you did. Thank you. Uh, so next week, I am really excited. So next week's podcast, which will be episode 86, is all around neuroscience at work. It is another one of our guest speaker podcasts. And this time it's going to be myself interviewing Amy Brown, who is a neuroscience expert all around neuroscience at work, basically, how we can understand um, the role our brain plays in keeping us engaged, getting into the science a little bit. I would say it's kind of like neuroscience light because I was like, okay, I read, tried, you know, I did read quite a few of Amy Brown's books and I was like, okay, there's quite a lot of detail here. I had pictures of brains and everything. So I've tried to keep it kind of practical and light and really focus on the actions that we can take out of it. I think neuroscience is a really hot topic at the moment and Amy is great. It's definitely one to listen to. So that's next week's episode. So that's everything for this week. Thank you so much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.